Now we're going to read from the scriptures. We're turning this morning to Habakkuk chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 1 through to 14. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through to 14. Let's hear the word of the Lord. The words will come up on the screen, but if you have your own Bible, then we would encourage you to open it and read together the words. It's good not only to hear the word of God, but it's good to see the word of God. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, reading, of course, from the authorized version. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man. Neither keepeth at home who enlarges his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. Shall not all these take up a parable against him? And a taunting proverb against him, and say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. How long? And to him that ladeneth himself with thick clay, shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee, and awake that vex thee, and thou shalt be for booties unto them? Because thou hast spoiled many nations. All the remnant of the people shall spoil thee because of men's blood. And for violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house. That he may set his nest on high. That he may be delivered from the power of evil. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people, and hast sinned against thy soul. For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood, and establish a city by iniquity. Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire, and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of Habakkuk chapter 2, at least in part, this morning. Now, my text this morning, as we continue a series of expository sermons in the book of Habakkuk, is found in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And my theme today is entitled, The Marks of a Genuine Man of God. Now, Habakkuk means a wrestler. His prophecy contains the book that bears his name. It's not like any other in the other 11 minor prophets. He's not preaching a series of woes or judgments upon Egypt, Assyria, or, or Babylon, or, or even addressing his own nation, the land of Israel or the territory of Judah. Habakkuk, remember, is wrestling with the Lord. He, he is addressing the Lord. He is reasoning with him. And the prophecy is all about his reasonings and the Lord's replies. We know nothing of his background. We know nothing of his call to be a preacher. What we do know is this, that he's a genuine man of God. He's one who knows God. He's one who has given himself to prayer. And in chapter 1, we have seen the burden of a broken-hearted man. He is burdened and broken-hearted for the explosion of iniquity, idolatry, and immorality that has burst upon the uh, life of Judah. He, he, he sees the uh, political system crumbling. He, he sees the social fabric of the land being eaten away. He, he, he sees uh, morality brought to uh, the very mire. He sees religious apostasy. And he's praying for revival. He's praying for God to come. And yet as this man wrestles with the Lord in prayer, he's perplexed. The Lord doesn't seem to hear. The Lord is not answering his prayer or appear to be answering his prayer. He wrestles with a second concept, namely the Lord's inactivity in dealing with sin and, and disciplining his own wayward people. Why isn't God doing something? How can the Lord look on and allow the wicked to prosper and the godly to suffer injustice in our land? And then when the Lord does finally answer him, he is stunned thirdly to discover that the Lord is going to use the godless, pagan, wicked, evil Babylonians to punish Judah. And he's thinking, but that can't be right. Why would God allow a bad people to be punished by a worse people? He's puzzled. He's perplexed. So what he does is, having taken God's answer into his mind, he then confirms what he knows about God. Chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. He reminds himself that God is eternal, that God is holy, that God is sovereign and in control, that God hates sin. He fills his mind with the perfections and the purity of the Lord. This man doesn't have a flawed or faulty view of God. 
This man is not blinded to the fact that God is perfectly holy. He, he knows who God is. And he knows that God is not ignorant of, nor unaware of, nor indifferent to the sins of the individuals before him in the land of Judah. He knows that God is not turning a blind eye. He says to the Lord, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look in iniquity. Do we not see a parallel in our day? When I read through Habakkuk, I, I know that this too is a day of drunkenness, a day of dishonesty, a, dis a day of disobedience. We too have an explosion of immorality and iniquity and idolatry. Is this land, even the land of Ulster, not known for its violence and bloodshed? And what about the sins of greed and pride and lust and grievances? And then add into the mix the backsliding apostasy of a professing Protestant church. And here's a question for me today. Am I burdened over the state of true religion in my wee country? Am I burdened and broken for the state of things in the church? You see, we have many unanswered questions as we wrestle with God like Habakkuk. No answers to prayer. Why is God not dealing with sin? If we put it in a modern parlance, why has God allowed the evil of abortion to be forced on Northern Ireland? Why punish wicked Judah Habakkuk's thinking using the evil and more wicked Babylonians? You see, he sees so many things wrong. And then he begins to ask himself, how should I be living for God in this day? Listen to what he says in chapter 2. Follow with me in verses 1 to 3. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. You think of Habakkuk. Young people, listen. It means a wrestler. And here's a man wrestling with God who's perplexed in his mind and he's asking himself, Lord, are you listening to me? As he prays. And then he's asking a second question. Lord, are you sure you know what you're doing? Lord, is these marvelous works or is this a monumental wrong? And he's wrestling with that. And then he's asking a third thing. Lord, how can I live for you in this evil, wicked day? And that's what he's answering in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. I want you to notice three things here. First of all, their godly resolve he exercised. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So I want you to think of Habakkuk, this wrestler with God, now waiting on the Lord and watching for God to come. He's watching for God to come and answer him. The prophet 
is very determined here to wait on God so that God can come and satisfactorily answer him, even if God comes to reprove him. And the thought is of God coming to argue with him. And and God uh, coming and saying to him, Habakkuk, how could you question whether I'm listening to you or not? How could you question my marvelous works? How could you question this or that? And in this resolve that he exercised, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. I want you to think of his resolve to pray. You see, Habakkuk is a man of intense, passionate prayer. He's a prayer warrior. And the church of Jesus Christ needs prayer warriors today. He's a man who wants concrete, definite answers to his prayer requests. Look at chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, O Lord, how long shall I cry? Think of that. How long shall I cry? This man has commenced praying, and this man continues to pray. And even in the watchtower, as he stands there to watch, He's standing, watching, but he's waiting on God to answer him. So he's praying on. It's inferred. He's praying through. You've got to think of him this morning in his watchtower, waiting on God to answer. And remember, he's already mystified that God hasn't answered his prayer. So what does he do? He continues to storm heaven by faith. He's cried before. How long shall I cry? He's been praying a long time. But what does he do? He doesn't give up on prayer. He keeps on praying. He keeps on crying to God. The day is dark, yes. The day is difficult, yes. Sin is tolerated in the land. There's a bleak future awaiting us. But he waits on God to answer. And God has already told him. Sin will be punished. But not in the way Habakkuk thought that sin was going to be punished. God is at work. At work marvelously. He works according to his own plan and according to his own purpose. And under no circumstances will he give his glory to another. And Habakkuk can't understand that. He's perplexed. So he, he, he says, I'll stand in the watchtower. And he continues to stand and pray on. And you know why I want to encourage you to continue in prayer for your country, for your church. And even though when you can't trace God's hand and you're perplexed in your mind, you can at least trust his heart. We need to learn to pray on, learn to pray through. We we need to come to the place of peace and the place of victory. And we're only going to do that when we get alone with God. Remember what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6. He taught in the Sermon on the Mount the great subject of prayer. Matthew chapter 6 is about three religious duties, the religious duty of almsgiving, the religious duty of prayer, and the religious duty of fasting. And this is what he said about prayer. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Getting alone with God and allowing God to reveal his secrets to your heart and to your mind. Not only think of his resolve to pray, but think of his resolve to 
persevere. If we go back to Habakkuk, notice the words, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. Now we'll pause there. There's a big temptation when individuals are facing trouble and difficulty and distress and discouragement to blame God. It's God's fault. And then not only do they blame God, but they turn away from him and they become faithless and become careless and become cold to the things of God and they give up on hope and they give up on truth and they think and entertain the thought it's not worth it to live out the Christian life. That's it. I've had enough of this. I quit. And that's especially true in a dark and difficult day. The devil comes and he whispers, in your trouble, where's your God now? He hasn't answered your prayer. He's not responding to you. He doesn't love you. He's not interested in you. He's not all that powerful, you know, to deal with this. I'll tell you what, he has failed you. Does that sound familiar? Remember whenever the 12 spies came back and reported in the land of Canaan to Joshua and the children of Israel, 10 spies brought an evil report. Two had a good report. They said that the 10 spies were not able to go up and conquer this land. They have walled cities. The sons of Anak are there. Their giants were like grasshoppers in their sight. And what was the result of that? In Numbers chapter 13, 33 and 14, 1, there was much discouragement. The whole congregation wept before the Lord. And the next verse says, and they murmured against Moses. And they started saying, we'd be better off in Egypt. Well, let's go back to Egypt. You see, they, they, they were giving up. They, they were giving in to their thoughts and feelings. And in our day of trouble, when calamity strikes in any area, we face the very same temptation. There's times we want to quit. Well, Habakkuk refused to quit, refused to give in. He refused to entertain such a devilish thought. Yes, it's true that there's times we don't fully understand the Lord's answer. There are times, let's be honest, we doubt and question God's providence and God's wisdom. We have thoughts about God's perfection, God's power, God's purity. And yet despite his perplexity, he knows enough about God that he's determined to wait on. And not only to pray through, but a firm resolve to persevere. Think of these words, I will stand. What does that mean? I will continue. I will remain. I will abide. I will stay on. The, the words there, and set me upon the tower, means that he wanted to be steadfast. He had decided, I'm going to be stout-hearted. I'm going to be like a stone. You think of a stone set on the wall and the wind blows, and the wind doesn't move it. It, it, it sits there. Well, Habakkuk was like that stone. He was not going to give up on God. He was not going to resort to the works of the flesh. He was not going to resort to the works of his own hands. He certainly wasn't going to raise an army to withstand the Babylonians. He was not going to try and solve things of life, spiritual things with a man-made problem. No, what does he do? 
He resolves to pray about it. He resolves as well to persevere. And you know, that's something that we need to do in our day. We need to learn to wait on God and persevere, especially in a day when sin abounds. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 12, and, or Matthew 24, verse 12, because iniquity shall abound, the love of the many shall wax cold. Let's not let our love for him grow cold. Let's learn as we wait in God, not only to pray on, but to persevere. We need to experience true grit. Yes, this is a day of religious apostasy. This, yes, this is a day when evil men are waxing worse and worse. Yes, this is a day when there's an explosion of immorality. This is a day when many of God's saints are being hurt and abused at the hands of even church leaders and elders. This is a day when we feel our prayers are not being answered. This is a day when we're not experiencing revival. This is a day when God's plan for us seems strange and confusing. And what is the solution? To give up on God? To abandon him? To, to go and join the world? To, to let's do what the ungodly says and go down to the pub and have a party? Is this a day to forgo the means of grace? To, to go back from following Christ? To give in to sin and unbelief and listen to the devil? Is this a day to abandon the house of God? On the day of God? Is this a day to turn away from the word of God and the worship of the Lord? No. That's not what Habakkuk did. He resolved to pray. He exercised prayer. But he resolved to persevere. Can I tell you something else? He resolved to be patient. I believe that Habakkuk exercised a spirit of godly patience. And we need to be patient. There's a story told about a preacher, uh, Dr. Philip Brooks. I believe he was an American, uh, and he uh, was in a study one day, and he had a study in his house, and he was pacing up and down, and an individual wanted to speak to him. I believe it was a, one of the associate pastors of the church, one of the junior men, and uh, he knocked on the door of the study. There was no answer, but he could hear voices, so he, he sort of opened the door and popped his head on him and he could see uh, Dr. Brooks pacing up and down and he, he said to Dr. Brooks, what's the trouble, Dr. Brooks? And this was the answer. Trouble! Trouble, young man! I'm in a hurry! And God is not. Do you ever feel like that? Because that's the way Habakkuk felt. He was burdened. I want you to see, I've, I've tried to enter into his shoes. He was a burdened, broken-hearted man for the state of things in his land. And he carried that burden a long time. And he's carried it to God. And he's been patiently waiting. And he's still going to wait. He has to learn and discover that God's ways are not our ways. And he has to learn that God is never in a hurry to fulfill his plan and his purpose. And isn't it a vital part of Christian living that as we wait on God, as we exercise godly patience, that's hard and difficult for us? You see, we expect instant answers, don't we? 
Could I just tell you, God can and does give instant answers. And I could give you some illustrations practically, but I could give you some illustrations biblically. But many, of course, go to McDonald's, and we all like going to McDonald's. Well, well I do. Fast food, you're hungry and you want something instant, instantly. But do you ever notice how many's in McDonald's? And I suppose this is true of me. I, I'm so impatient. I can't wait for the girl to take the order. I, I, I can't wait for the order to come. I, I can't wait for the machine to work. If you were getting a Chinese meal last night, you've been standing outside for 30 minutes and maybe even longer. Deliveries were taking a very long time. Nothing to do with the delivery driver, by the way. It was a cooking problem. We have motorways that are faster and better than previous years and generations. But you, you think of the amount of road rage. Get in your car and you put your foot to the accelerator and you drive at a furious speed to get from A to B. Probably with little thought of our safety or our well-being or other road users. You see, patience is so hard for us. It's certainly so hard for this preacher. But do you know what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4? Tribulation worketh patience. So sometimes whenever trouble comes, let's think God has allowed the trouble for a variety of reasons. And here's one of the reasons, to teach us to be patient. And the Bible then goes on to say in Romans chapter 5 verse 4 that, that, that patience worketh experience. James 5 and chapter, James 5 and 7 and 8 says this, Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and of long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Think of the farmer. He sows a seed. He waits for the harvest. The harvest isn't instantaneous. It doesn't appear immediately. See, there has to be a waiting time. There has to be patience. And James is using the argument there to say to be patient under the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord is going to happen. But we have to tarry. We have to wait for it. Some people are saying it's not going to come. Why bother wait? Let's throw up on this promise. It's not going to happen. But James is saying, be patient unto the coming of the Lord. James 5 also talks about the patience of Job. You know, I heard someone on the radio the other day making this statement. Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Usually found in woman, but seldom in a man. Not never, but seldom. Because the Bible talks about the patience of Job. See, he resolved to pray, he resolved to persevere, but he resolved to be patient. Very quickly, he resolved to be positive. You see, he says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. You see, Habakkuk embraced the mindset of positivity. He filled his heart and mind with a confident expectation that God was going to answer him. He knew that God was on the throne. God was in control. So he had confidence in God that God would eventually come and answer him. This watchtower was in an elevated place outside the city. It could be made of wood. It could be made of stone. 
And in this elevated place, he, he, could, uh, he could watch, like the watchman did, uh, for the enemy to come. Only he wasn't watching for the enemy. He was watching for God. And in this watchtower, he was looking on things from a different perspective. Isn't that very important? He's watching to see what God will say to me and what I shall answer God. Do you know what he's doing? He's a confident expectation that he's going to get a word from God. He's expecting a word from God. Do you expect a word from God every time you come into the house of God on the day of God to worship God? Expecting God to answer your prayers? Part of that expectation has to be have faith in God. We need to have confidence in God, that God will answer, that he's a covenant-keeping God, that God will bless his people, that God will visit us, even here in this house, despite COVID-19. I have to tell you, I'm devastated because of this impact of COVID-19 in this house. Would I love to see this house filled? Absolutely. Would you love to see it filled? Absolutely. And we started out the year with such great promise. And now we're well down numerically. I want you to notice something. He said, I will stand. He's alone. There's nobody with him. It's not we. It's I. There's nobody in Judah and Jerusalem to come alongside Habakkuk who wrestles with God. None to help him. He's standing alone in the watchtower. So few concerned about the sin in the land. If you turn over there to the book of Isaiah, this is what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 17. And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob. See, God's withdrawn God's withholding his blessing and I will look for him. I think of those words, I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob and I will look for him. That's the mindset of Habakkuk. He's resolved to be positive. He's looking for God. He's looking for answers. That's the godly resolve that he exercised. I want you to see, secondly, the godly revelation he embraced. Look at verse 2. And the Lord answered and said, write the vision. You see, time before the Lord is not wasted. The God of heaven answered Habakkuk. Habakkuk longed for a word from God. So he's praying, he's persevering, he's patient, he, he's positive. He expects an answer. He, he longs for an answer. He, he wants God's blessing. And he's confident that it will come. And notice what verse 2 says. And the Lord answered me and said... Write the vision. Notice the prophecy he recorded. Write the vision. And then he added the words, and they get playing upon tables. You see, God is a message for his people. Think of that. In this day of discouragement and disillusionment and despair, decline, depression, disappointment. If that's the state and heart of your mind, God has a word for you. God has a word for us. And you see, it's important then on the day of God, the Sabbath, to come to the house of God. It's important that we worship the Lord. And I realize that many physically can't be here, but, but they are joining us in the online studio. And, and as we come into his presence this morning, and as we meet with him, we, we meet with him for this purpose that we might hear his voice. Because there's something he wants to say to us, something that he wants us to hear. Isn't that remarkable? Notice the words here. 
and they get playing upon tables. What does that mean, young people? Does that mean he was to write it on a, a wooden table? No. The thought is of a clay tablet, because remember, in those days they had no BBC, praise the Lord, and no Sky Television, no CNN. And if you think of the, the marketplace where everybody went to buy things, then they put information for that city or that village on a clay tablet. And, and it was like putting the news on for the individuals to come and read if they wanted it. And isn't it wonderful that here we are studying the book of Habakkuk, and we wouldn't be studying this book if he had not received this instruction from God to record it and to write it down. He was making it permanent. This was the news of the day. He wanted the others to talk about this and to see this. He wanted the public to see it. He wanted to make it plain so the generations to come could, could read it and, and benefit from it. Isn't that remarkable? See, God was going to raise up the Babylonian army to come and destroy Judah and Jerusalem. And God is saying to the prophet, write it down. Make it plain. And of course, there was a literal historical fulfillment of this. We're already seeing that in the book of Daniel 606 to 586 BC. Three times Nebuchadnezzar came with the Babylonian army to Jerusalem. And in 586, utterly destroyed the city and ransacked the temple, burned it to the ground, burned the gates. Then the Babylonians, God says, well, they're going to be destroyed. I'll destroy them by another kingdom, this time the Medes and Persians. And that literally happened, historical fulfillment, 539 BC. It's not going to tarry. You see, notice he says here in verse 3, if I move on, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. See, God has a set time, a fixed time to fulfill his word. Habakkuk asked, how long, Lord? It's a mystery, long for an answer. And then there was no answer. And then he was learning. God says, it's for an appointed time. God has an appointed time to fulfill his word. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 102 and verse 13. Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion for the set time to favor her. Yea, the set time has come. Think of the words. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Now, could I encourage you to turn over to another scripture? Turn over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Look with me at this time. Hebrews chapter 10. And if you come to the verse 36, Hebrews 10. Verse 36. He says, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto partition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. He's quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2, Verses 2 and 3. Paul's using this as an illustration. He takes out the word it, referring to the Babylonians, and he puts in the word he, which can be done. And, and of course, it's a reference 
to Christ. You see, there's a literal and immediate fulfillment, but there's also a literal ultimate fulfillment. Jesus Christ is going to come back to this earth and destroy the works of the devil and destroy all the minions of hell and to deal with sin, to eradicate sin. And to bring in everlasting righteousness that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Babylon's but a type. The Medes and Persians are a type. The Romans are a type. The Grecians are but a type. Antichrist is but a type. Until he comes. Be patient therefore unto the coming of the Lord. Very quickly, the prophecy is not only recorded, but the prophecy is reliable. It says in verse 2, Uh, Verse 3, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Think of getting a living word from God. Think of the certainty of his word. You see, it all points toward fulfillment. God's word is completely reliable. You can read it and rely it. It's more reliable than the news and the news. Because there's a lot of false news about. God's word's not false. God's word will not fail you. God's word will not be forgotten. See, many were asking in Peter's day, if we link it up, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 4 to 9, where's the promise of his coming? Long since promised, hasn't come yet. Peter talks about the flood. And then he talks about the fire that's yet to come. And he says, but the Lord will not delay his coming, as some men count slackness. Why? Because he's a set time to come. God is eternal. God is a plan. God is a purpose. Prophecy is reliable. Very quickly, the prophecy is revealing. It will surely come. The word surely is an adverb, and it means it will come and come quickly. The future terror of the Babylonian army is going to come. But even one day, the Babylonian army is going to be destroyed. That day will come to pass. Why? Because God is on the throne. God is in control. And let me just say as we wrap this up this morning, all that's happening in our world with the European Union and the United Kingdom and Brexit, all that's happening with COVID-19, this explosion of immorality and iniquity and idolatry that, that we're witnessing, we're living in an end time age. God is working out his plan. God is working out his purpose. I believe God has created time. God is not uh, controlled by time. We are subject to time, but God is not. God is always on time. Remember, God is not in a hurry. Remember at the time of the storm when the disciples were in the Sea of Galilee, it was in the fourth watch of the night, the darkest point of the night, when Christ came to them and said, Be not afraid, it is I. You're going through a storm right now. He can come to you at the darkest point when you are about to give up hope and say it's useless. He can come to your aid. Psalm 46, it says, God shall help her. And that right early, at the turning of the morning, at the darkest point, God shall step in. Why? Because he's no disappointment. There's no distress with him. There's no denials with him. There may be apparent delays, but God is a different time for you. The prophecy is recorded, reliable and revealing. And one final thing, I want you to think of not only the, the, the godly revelation he embraced, but think about the godly responsibility he engaged. If you look, and we'll go into verse 4, and I don't want to take up the subject for next Lord's Day, 
Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. You see, Habakkuk knows that this is the principle that he must live by. It's right that he prays. It's right that he perseveres and is patient and is positive. It's right that he obeys God in relation to writing down the vision and accurately recording it. It's a word that's certain and a word that's secure. But here's an unchangeable principle. The just shall live by his faith. And he's making a contrast. Behold, his soul which is lifted up in him is not upright. He's thinking of King Nebuchadnezzar. He's thinking of the Babylonian army. He's thinking of, of their, their rotten, stinking pride. You think of the proudness of many sinners today whose soul is not upright within them. Because they have no knowledge of God, no consciousness of their sin, never repented of it, never got right with the Lord. And if you're here this morning, you're listening to me and you're not saved, then I urge you to repent. I urge you to uh, get right with God. I urge you to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Remember the publican in the temple, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Is that a picture of you? Behold his soul, which is lifted up in him, is not upright. But then think of the saint. The just shall live by his faith. A real, true, living faith. If you were to ask me as we finish this morning, what's the secret to living a successful Christian life, Pastor? I'm going to give it to you in four words. You ready? Have faith in God. See the word faith? Forsaking all, I trust him. Or forsaking all, I take him. Because the Christian life is commenced by faith. We're saved by faith, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And the Christian life continues in faith. He that believeth, I am believing, I have believed, and will keep on believing. You see, it leads to a life of faithfulness, a life of fidelity with God, a life of implicit trust in him, even in the darkness and the difficulty. And it's a life that's consummated. By faith. Because we have the firm resolve that we're going to continue to hear the words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. How am I to live, Lord? Have a godly resolve that you must exercise. How am I to live, Lord? Have a godly revelation to embrace. My word. This prophecy, the words of the book. Here's the godly responsibility you must engage. Faith in God. That's the secret. The Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening.